From Phil's VTech comes a weekly digital series where he shares his insights, concepts, and findings learned during his 15-year journey of working in the entertainment industry. Each lesson offers you a roadmap to overcome the challenges that all artists face on the path to success. Welcome to Phil's VTech Podcast. Hello, dear creative. My name is Phil Svitek, and it's an honor to have you on this very special episode because I get to interview my dear friend, Ken Knapsack. Now, he's not appearing on the show simply because he's my friend. There's a lot more to it than that. For those of you who know me, know that I'm a big advocate of mastering mental fortitude in order to achieve your creative endeavors because, let's face it, it's not just talent and luck that wins out and gains you success. You need to have the right foundation. And when I talk about Ken Knapsack, I've known him for going on seven years almost, I would say. And he exemplifies true mental fortitude in my eyes. He is a producer. He does a lot of stuff behind the scenes, whether it's in uh, podcasts, YouTube content, uh, and things of that nature, uh, wrestling and so forth. Like he, his, his, his resume is just, just to be honest... Uh, quite tiresome just to read. And not only that, but he also goes in front of the camera as well through stand-up comedy and his hosting and so forth. So he he has been in this business for quite a long time, knows a lot, is very humble, speaks eloquently, and has a lot to offer. I When I interviewed him, I was certainly learning a lot. And so it is my aim for you to be able to take away the same lessons that I learned and and whatnot. Now, we interviewed at his place, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I only had one camera, and the setup didn't lend itself for both of us to be on camera, so I set up on him. Uh, so, you know, for the most part, you'll just see Ken, even though obviously there's times where I'm talking, so I do apologize for that. But, uh, you know, it's forgivable to me in in the sense that what he has to offer is is worth it, even even the dead moments when you're just hearing my voice. One final thing before I jump into the interview with Ken is that all of his projects and various things, you can find it on KenNapsock.com, and that includes his Star Wars book, Why We Love Star Wars, his uh, stand-up dates, and his various podcast shows, and so forth. So I strongly encourage you to check that out. And for those of you familiar with Ken, hopefully this interview with him is more than just some of the regular stuff that you've seen and heard from him. Uh, I believe that we cover new territory, so I'm excited to share that with you. So without further ado, please enjoy my very wide-ranging talk with Ken Knapsack. So Ken, uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a couple of years now, and I'm I'm glad we got to catch up. Uh, We only catch up over podcasts in this town, but yeah, it's been like five years, six years coming up. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. Uh, one of the, you know, I was going through your website mm. and hopefully we'll dive into all the things that I, I got to note, but just reading your bio in general, I was exhausted. You, you do a lot of stuff. Yeah, me too. I'm exhausted. <laughs> too much, I guess. And the, but this, you know, this, this digital media age, you gotta you know, build your brand, do all those good things, but then it's really just finding the one thing that works or takes off. I don't know, but that sounds cynical. I'm not cynical about it. I really enjoy doing what I do, which includes podcast writing, uh, doing the book now, pro wrestling from time to time, getting back into stand-up comedy, which is weird. Uh, why choose? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have to. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And, and I love 
kind of how you got your start in radio mm. and, and really you got back into that yeah. in, a, in a in a very interesting way. It's not like obviously when you and I went to college or mm. whatever else we could dream of being podcasters. No. And yet here we are and it does allow us to offshoot into these various things that that are awesome. A hundred percent. And I always say like, I, I should have started sooner because when in podcasting really, I started hearing the term like mid two thousands, right? Yeah. Two, 2005 is when the technology started 2010. If like you were an early adopter mm-hmm. and you were smart, you were like, okay, I'm in. That's the sentence. If, if I was smart and I wasn't, I was arrogant. I was fearful of change of new technology. Cause I was a radio guy. I started radio in 1994. I, I had reel to reels. I had edit things with razor blades and I just was like, ah, what's this? new thing these people are doing i was a radio kid and man what a what an important lesson because i did start i started three years later in 2012 started producing for the schmoes they were starting like 2011 but like 2013 is when i launched an appsock files what an idiot i was i could have had three years on on yeah. on just my numbers my business my identity stupid stupid phil it was stupid all right. Well, but i mean still relatively speaking in terms of the boom of podcasting mm. And, you know, some people saying we're in a bubble and things like that. I don't sure. necessarily believe it. No. But, you know, people like in terms of the seriousness of it, it didn't really hit in, for me until 2017. Yeah. You know, and then like all these celebrities started getting into it. And it's like, oh, it's the cool thing to do now. <laughs> As opposed to like, well, we've been doing it for years. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, some of those articles that pop up? The new thing and, and the, the celebrities revitalizing uh, this industry. Yeah, you know, I get it. They're going to get the headlines. But, yeah, it's been going strong for a while. Yeah, it's uh, just in terms of that. Not that I want to spend like this entire thing on podcasting, but mm-hmm. like, what ha, what progression have you seen? What do you like of where it's headed? What mm-hmm. perhaps don't you like? What I think I like where it's headed is it's it's slowly moving more towards radio with the ability ability to live stream. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, something powerful. I always record live to tape. Generally, rarely do I do edits for better or worse. Um, that's just what I was, I'm used to. Uh, I keep my ums and us in, um, but I, I like where it's heading, where it's, 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 I like that my mom will now know, Hey, what a podcast is all jokes aside. Yeah. I like that. It's normal. Cause I used to always say, if you could get podcasts in a car by a press of a button, it, it, the industry would explode. This is like 2013, 2014, you know, an app in a car. If I can, I can search for a gas station. If I can get a satellite podcast version that takes us to new, to new level. And I think we're getting there, if not there already. And, and it's because broadcasting radio is, it's the most intimate form of media. You care, carry these people within your lives. I I remember one time we switched the news or what we did, the news and sports on our morning show. Mm -hmm. So we used to do it like 25 after the hour. And we did it one day, like 35 and someone called and was like, dude, you made me late to work. Because I thought it was only 625 and it was 635. And that's how closely associated you are with the shows and broadcasters and those voices in your ears. And I love that. So it's it's already there and getting bigger. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to – whenever I, – I don't have ADD myself, but whenever I do this, I have ADD. <laughs> so we're going to jump around. I, I apologize already. No, no. Let's do it. Um, but I want to I get this because I'd be remiss mm. if I didn't ask this and yeah. we ran out of time. One of the things I really appreciate about you is, whether by choice or not, you're a mentor to a lot of people, and you're also a great mediator in the sense, not that like fights are happening left and right, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, obviously in this industry there's personalities and that can clash, 
and you have a great way of just calming everyone down before things hit, things hit the fan. Yeah. And a, were you aware of that yourself? And B, like, I don't know, like, how do you that's, look at that role? Yeah, that's a great observation, man. And and I appreciate uh, you you taking the conversation in that way. We can talk about Star Wars later, but I, <laughs> I do that a lot. Um, I have always been in some sort of a mentory role i don't and i don't know that's a great i don't know how that happens i i don't see myself as seeking leadership or being the front of the line or anything or, or great leaders in the back of the line all those things but i have had have been that i, I was a started coaching like little league in 10th grade uh one of my great joys was coaching a, a winning baseball team and not just it wasn't the wins and the lack of losses uh we had a great season but i remember working extra time with the kids teaching them little lessons you know you got mad at strike two but you still had strike three. Yeah. Don't get ca- caught up on strike two. And like I had that in me and then uh, it, it kind of grew. And, you know, you've come, I became supervisor at my job and a, a director of security and I still communicate. And it wasn't perfect, man. It wasn't. No, no one can be. Uh, there's some employees who probably hate me, um, but there's a few that I still talk to who are like, man, you got me through this. Not just job stuff. Yeah. 2 a.m. calls. I was like the first to find out they had uh, had a baby on the way before their parents it happened like four or five times calling me crying hey boss can i talk to you like and so i don't know what that where that comes from and that desire and i like doing it um but i have the nickname uh my even my girlfriend uses it of, of kenny no bothers mm-hmm. which i'm just kind of uh, not to drop another sports reference, but like Joe Torre when he was a manager of the Yankees would just kind of sit in the dugout, hand on his chin, and he'd get mad. He'd be an Italian guy. He'd get passionate, you know, but no matter, he just calm, calm. And when I, was, when I was a little league coach, one of the dads came up to me. He was like, this is the first season in like five or six that I have not been thrown out of a game from the stands as a parent because anytime I got mad, I looked at you in the dugout and you didn't seem worried. So uh, it comes from that. Doesn't mean I don't get stressed, angry, blah, blah, blah. We can talk about that stuff uh, in a therapy session. But and stuff you're talking about, I find myself, there was a birthday party I had years ago. Sorry, monologue and Phil. No, uh, no, there, there was a, that's uh, why we're here. Uh, there was a birthday party I had years ago, and I remember looking around, and there was a pockets, little clicks and, and groups, because they didn't know each other. Yeah. The only connection was me. And I was like, that's interesting. It's work friends. It's my police buddies and it's my uh, comedy buddies and this. And, and it just, that was an interesting self-observation of like, what, what is it about me? Uh, maybe it means I don't take a stand. I don't know. Um, I think a little bit is just, I can see like, I always do case by case basis, common sense and take a breath. Yeah. And sometimes, yes, we can all get, it doesn't mean I have not been upset about showing up to a show and go, why, why, why are we doing that? Um, but then having a moment to go, well, we're all humans here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's figure this out. Absolutely. Yeah, no, there, there's, there's so much in what you said. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And I know, I know personally you've helped a lot of people. Uh, mm. I think, mm. um, like I know like Roxy has sure. she's been Roxy Stryer. She's been public about like how much uh, she loved having you. Um, over at Screen Junkies and yeah. just working with you. And yeah, there's just this natural presence that I love. Um, yeah. And your other nickname, Pit Boss, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes sense <laughs> along with your other nickname as well, you know, where you're, you're just kind of. 
Yes, watching and preserving. I mean, that truly came because uh, on the Schmo show, I started, they switched the days of the show. And so I had to work and head over and I had a suit and wore a suit. And so I just kind of, I looked like a pit boss. But it feel, you know, some people, I always say our, our interns at the time, they're they're way more talented than us and doing great things. Cody Hall, Christian Rufacabla, Andres Cabrera, Robert Butler III, um, from the Schmo's days, they all independently were like, I was afraid to meet you. And I'm like, Really? <laughs> I like I hate myself. I'm self-loathing. I'm just I just want to go home and play video games. But it's just I guess you put on a suit and just have that calm demeanor. The pit boss thing worked, even though I, I fought it at first. I was like, this is silly. That's silly. And it's still kind of silly. But yeah, there's something there. Uh so speaking of the schmoes, yeah. you know, one of the things um they're very much skewed towards like a wrestling sensibility. Yeah. And that worked for you because you have a f- passion for wrestling. You do. Um where did your passion for wrestling come from and how did the, you know, did you guys ever talk about like marrying the two in the early days of schmoes and cause it, you know, like the pit boss itself, like that's a gimmick. And so yeah. if someone just says like, Hey, even the word gimmick, you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Cause it can tie to wrestling very easily. It, wrestling started in my life young, seven or eight. Uh, I don't remember exactly when. And then at one point my, my uh, now late uncle, my, my, my father, we used to watch his kids, they weren't fan, like dedicated fans, but oh yes, yeah, so, so they weren't against it, you know. Uh, but at one point, I learned like it's a work, and you know they they told me the old the, the fake word, right? You know, which which is not entirely true when you really get into it. But it's a, it's a, it's a work. It's a predetermined. Uh, it's a show. It's an art. It's 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 in combat combat improv theater. Um, I went. I was no. I went away from it. I was like brokenhearted. Like I felt lied to. And then about twelve. Uh, Came back and it's just it's once you get it it's it's a pomp and circumstance it's the characters the gimmick and that's and there's also valuable I really do believe there's valuable life lessons in the story of wrestling matches and sometimes the good guys win sometimes the bad guys win most of the time the ref gets knocked out and all hell breaks loose right that's something I've said before and um I I carry that into conversation I with my friends in wrestling I will have conversations about Game of Thrones they'll mm-hmm. be like hey did you see last week's episode oh yeah they put Jamie Jamie in the semi main with uh, Tyrion and he went over and we just talk, have this weird conversation about wrestling not even trying to so there's a uh, it, it just it does go into other areas as far as the schmoes Harloff was a wrestling fan Harloff worked for WWE for a short time in the early 2000s and when we were comedians we connected over it because he he would I think one time he came backstage and was like, did you hear that, uh, that joke? And I, was like, I said, oh, man, the audience pot for that. And that's very much a wrestling term. I think more people know it now. But back then, it was, he was like, oh, oh, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, when you form, whether you, you know it or not, you're forming characters. And sometimes that can get exhausting or sometimes you run the course of that character. But even on a podcast, especially Schmoes with a cast of characters, he, he was smart to kind of try to build up those personalities. And that's where it came from. Uh, so you mentioned uh, there's a lot of res- uh, lessons in wrestling. Give me like may- maybe like the top one or you know mm. three if you can't like pick one only. Or- yeah, I, I think it's truly <clears throat> going in front of the camera. There's some stuff to learn behind the camera, behind the locker rooms, which are more tough, more real life stuff. But uh, on camera, it's just a simple story of it's not even that's a good good versus evil, but it's a story of trying to overcome obstacles to get your goals and what can get in the way. And a good wrestling story usually is about a, a, a good guy, a baby face 
chasing a title, chasing a bad guy who'll do anything to win and and at the cost of his own morality. And like that's the kind of basic stuff there when a, a match tells that story. The fans connect to the drive of, of you know, one of the reasons Stone Cold Steve Austin became so big is because he was fighting his boss. And who doesn't have anything of that? And so, again... He it, also drank beers, which... He also, <laughs> and who doesn't want to drink beer on the job? No. So, yeah, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of other things, a lot of silliness. Wrestling can be uh, a bad industry, too. There's there's dark sides to it. Both stuff that they did in the ring, especially in the 70s and 80s and beyond, like some of the stereotypes and everything they perpetuated. Yeah, I get it, I get it. But wrestling, at its core, is just basic human storytelling. And I think it's that it is that quest for your goals and how what's in the way and how do you overcome it absolutely yeah um no i i, I love that um shoot there was a question about the schmoes that i had now i'm drawing a blank all right we'll uh we'll revisit it maybe um so since we're on the topic of kind of your loves mm-hmm. uh it should be noted that you have a huge love of star wars yeah and you know i'm sure you you you've done so many shows on star Wars and things like that. It's almost hard to like say, mm. you know, uh, d- deduce a question out of it. But, um, yeah. what would you like people to know about your love of star Wars or just star Wars in general that perhaps you haven't talked about? I think it's just how basic and simple star Wars should be viewed. And, and I always say star Wars is understood best by adults, but it's loved best by children. Mm-hmm. And, it's pure and unadulterated love. When the first time I talked uh, about Star Wars regularly on a show, I'd appeared on a couple podcasts, but it was uh, Jedi Alliance on, on the network you helped build. And uh, me and Mon Garrett got to do a show, and when we, we were tasked with creating the show, and so we met at my place. And again, 2014, times have changed, and it's not, who knows if I would approach the same way. I mean, I think I would, but um, it wasn't like – how can we tear down? How can we put our idea? It was just like, hey, we're Star Wars fans. What's fun about being a Star Wars fan? Let's talk about this. Do you like a TIE fighter? Do you like an X-Wing? Do you like – it was simple, simple joys because Star Wars is pretty simple. That's how George designed it. Like yeah. morality, tale for 12-year-olds, and I always go back to that e- even in the other shows I do. And the industry has changed and now – um, it's so funny. It's become nerddom. Fandom has become like sports was, and I'm a big sports fan. And I moved away from sports a lot about five, six years ago. I was just tired of the sports radio talk and everyone's got a hot take and a thought. And, and, and I, it, it, none of that's bad necessarily. I don't fault anyone for that. And you can make a career out of it. It's great. But it got in front of my joy. Mm-hmm. Instead of watching, you know, I'm a Miami Dolphin football fan, so there's not a lot of joy there for me. But like, Watching three hours of pregame, like it just, I was like, oh, the stats and the figures. And, and then I just forgot to remember when I was a kid and I liked watching Dan Marino throw a football and I moved away from it. Now I find myself moving back to sports because nerddom fandom has changed from when Mod and I started, yeah. where it was like, hey, we like Star Wars too, to how anger, violence, threats. Terror, there's terrorist groups in the fandom that have names and group names and everything. And, and, and I, it's gotten in front of the joy of loving this. And that's what I'm always going to try to put out there. Is that why, is that what motivated you to write the book? Um, yeah. Why we love star Wars. Yeah. Just the title alone kind of almost indicates the message of let's get back to basics. It really, and I got to give credit to the publishing team at mango publishing. Um, I had a more pedestrian, um, you know, uh, reasons we love star Wars type of thing, but love was there, but yes, because they kind of, as the book was coming out and, and, or getting written, they were like, 
okay, they, 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 at first didn't understand what I was, we, you know, we came to an agreement on what I was going to do. I was going to write about the hundred greatest moments in star Wars, but then they started getting the first few chapters and they were like, Oh, these are little love letters to star Wars. This, this isn't about new insights or, you know, occasionally I might throw something that you didn't know, or I, 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 Give a give a different perspective on a scene that you might not you know I don't like that part of the prequels. Well, here's my view on it. I've had some people say, "Oh, you've changed my view," or you maybe look at it again. But what I keep getting is, "Man, you're making me emotional because I experience that too." And these are adults; these are people in their forties, fifties, thirties. Every generation of fan. Um, I, I had uh, a young female fan quote tweet something I wrote about Ray because it, it captured what she felt about Ray, and that was I was real proud of that. Um, and but I've also had you know sixty year old dude who was in the theater in seventy seven like wow you took me back to that moment because I think it's just so hard in anything. So we can take this conversation outside of Star Wars real quick of forgetting the childlike joy of your passions including podcasting broadcasting or uh i get caught up in the things and there'd be times back you know working the uh the schmoes podcast at after buzz uh the the studio there and like you know we we're trying to scramble for our next view or next click and and i would just be wow wait a minute if you were told me at 14 that i'd be hanging out with friends talking about movies and i got to meet rowdy piper and i got to hang out with like i'd be this is this is the best thing i could hope for yeah doesn't mean there's not challenges doesn't mean you can't be realistic about some of the problems or get tired of things or move or try to better yourself but go back to that joy you'll find you might be where you want to be so speaking of that joy selfishly i'm I'm very curious and Mm -hmm. you know in terms of what i try to deliver is helping creatives through um mastering mental fortitude and and, uh so i want to talk about the writing process of the book Mm. Um, you know, how did it come about? What were some of the challenges, you know, just even the length of time that it took? And Yeah, I wish I had a little bit more time to write it. Um, so Mango Publishing is a, it's a great independent house out of Miami. Uh, independent, so it's small. It doesn't have a lot of the resources, but it, uh, it's a great, legit publishing house there. And, and they had written, uh, uh, they worked with Alicia Malone, mm-hmm. uh, who you know, and uh, she's written two books for them. And it was through her that I got connected. And I talked a lot about Alicia because it's like with Alicia about because I've, I've written a lot. I've written screenplays and everything. And I tried a book when in my 20s when I had no pressure and I just, I just didn't know what I was doing. But guess what? I still didn't know what I was doing because mm-hmm. how do you actually have to do it? And, and she gave me some tips and everything. But a lot, of, a lot I think a lot of it's just finding your way. But she, she had said there were some nights where I w- my head was hurting. Like I, my soul was breaking. Like I didn't know how to write. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. Were you able to revisit a lot of the content that you have created on Star Wars to like just pull rather than have to reinvent the wheel of like descriptions? Let me just pull that. So funny you say that because when we when I met with the publisher, we talked and there was a couple other ideas on the table that I was thinking about that weren't Star Wars. Like, what if I did this? And but it's like it makes sense. They're they're all about you know they're not like a influencer publishing house, but it, they seek out a lot of people that have a built-in fan base, right? Just business sense. So it was like, no, Star Wars is the thing. And it was like, okay, well, I had done a podcast on, on Force Center, my, my podcast feed with, with Joseph Scrimshaw and Jennifer Landa. Uh, it, was, it was like a 50th episode, and I did 50 things I love about Star Wars. So I thought, well, okay, what if we do that, but I do 100? They're like, great. And in my head, Phil, I'm thinking, half the book is already written. This is yeah. easy. So I went back, I downloaded the podcast, the file, I started, I had the notes and I realized only 20 of those thing, on those things on the list could I even use now. 
Um, it was done, I think Rogue One had just come out, so now more movies and shows. So just on a technical level, I was like, ah, I know some more, and there's some things that have surpassed it. And then of the, say, 20 that I was like, okay, at least I've got 20 written. I can just transcribe what I said in this podcast. Nah, it, it, that was a shortcut, and there's no shortcuts to it. And I had to roll up my sleeves, get in and write, and sure enough, there were nights where Alicia was not wrong. I was crying. I was throwing things at my head in a pillow, literally going, I screaming to myself in my apartment, I cannot do this anymore. I do not know what I'm doing. And uh, then you take a breath and then write something. And then the publisher would be like, this is my favorite essay. And then there'd be one where I was like, man, I nailed that one. And they'd write me, yeah, this one needs some work. Yeah, yeah. Your your focus is not clear. So, yeah, you go through a lot. And I think that's the creative process. And you shouldn't fight it. You should fight through it. But no shortcuts. No shortcuts. Just can't be. Let me I, – I this is a theory that I have and I'm trying to like gain mm-hmm. – um, either prove it right or prove it wrong. Okay. You know, I'm fine if it's wrong. But I, f- I find that 80% of the creative journey is really for you. The last 20 is for the audience. Mm-hmm. Meaning you're like, okay, I've gone through the, the, you know, the mental exercise you're talking about. Yeah. You get to a point where like, okay, I've solved it. But you still have to kind of put it to paper or whatever else. Yeah. Um, would you say, A, that's true? And if so, how did you fight through that last 20% where it's, you know, you're done with it creatively, mentally, you've gone through everything? Yeah, I think, th- I think that's right. I, I don't have the science to back it, but I think your theory's right, sir. <laughs> uh, it's peer reviewed right here. Yeah, because it is, it's not about 80%, and I, I know what you mean. It's like not about 80% from my glory and success, but what do I learn about myself and the confidence? Artists are, you know, tremendous, and creatives are tremendously sensitive types, or they see the world a little differently. And, and that's not to disparage anyone who is not a, con- a creative, you know. Um, my mom used to say, and, and no offense to garbage men, please don't take it like that. But she's, I just sometimes wish you were a happy garbage man, meaning I wish you just had a job you showed up to that you were happy and fulfilled with and you had a life outside of that that you loved versus I was – you know, going through a lot of depression and uh, suicidal thoughts. I was kind of, uh, you know, working, going through therapy, all those things, not just that's, by the way, not just reserved for creatives, but that, that was just more blown up and uh, bigger in proportion because I was a creative person who had these, as my therapist used to say, your job has no end line. There's no finish line. Cause even if you think you've reached a finish line, uh, a new line emerges or a new goal, or that one didn't work. And, and so that's when I hear you say 80% is for you. It's, it's to discover yourself, to get better at this, to grow. And then eventually the 20% for whatever's in that 20% is letting it go. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing. There's copywriting errors in that book. There's a factual error that, that uh, I made that they didn't catch, and I don't know why I made it. I just blanked on a f- name of a Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I was able to correct it in the audio version, but I literally lost nights of sleep because the book is published. The book is out. I can't do anything about it. And that's the 20% of, like, I didn't do it for all this. Yeah. I, I did it for the journey. Yeah, no, I think you're right. That's really cool. Um, if you don't mind, I want to kind of explore what you – talked about in um in that mm-hmm. um part of as a creative like you know for me everyone always looks to the technical side how do i do this but how do i get to the top and and for mm-hmm. me without the foundation of mental fortitude is just kind of mm-hmm. the term that i i use 
um, your legs will buckle. Yeah. And I don't care who you are. And I, I look at this industry like it's a shaking tree. And if you could just hold on, you'll find some success. I don't know what mm-hmm. that success is going to be or look like or yeah. where, but you'll be in the game. Yeah. And um, so I want to, if you don't mind, I wanted to yeah. kind of explore that a little bit, like, Loved you know, the, 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 the hurdles, the struggles along the way. Cause, um, yeah, I was getting to a point where like, I, I, you know, for me, my legs were buckling a little bit and mm-hmm. I did the same thing where I, I sought therapy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a kinesiologist cause talk therapy for me doesn't work. Cause I, I mm. know I could easily lie. Sure. Oh, that's, <laughs> that, that that's I knew about great point. My, you know, oh, there and, was days in my therapy. I was like, I'm telling, I'm giving him an answer I want today. You're, you're not wrong. Um, so yeah, if, if you, mm. you know, um, yeah, let's dig in. Uh, I, I, I don't know the specific question of how to kind of an entry point, but, um, yeah, just, I guess the, 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 ch- the biggest challenges that you faced and, you know, uh, uh you know, it's always, it's always going to be personal. This, uh, this, uh, mental fortitude concepts, very interesting and true because, um, I think for me, so this is again, from my journey, it's, it's, I'm, I'm most held back by what I do or think or keep myself from doing. Uh, apathy has always been a problem. Um, you mentioned technical stuff, like your apathy. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, yeah, no, if, I, if I might, yeah, point a microscope. Apathy in the sense of of what? Because for me, the mm. interesting part I learned was success was almost like a given, mm. and so like I, I never found joy in success. It was just like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, if I didn't accomplish something, that was like, wait, something's off about this, mm. and. In a sense, I could, uh, if you've ever heard the term, uh, the locus of control, which is basically people my whole life has said, you're smart, you're gifted. Right. And that's actually a negative thing because then in a sense, it's beyond my control. Mm. Whereas if you tell a child you're hardworking, then the accomplishments themselves are due yeah. to that person's control rather than outside their... That's interesting. So so when I mention apathy, I just mentioned sometimes I get a little lazy, a little set in my ways and I'll work on it tomorrow and I don't care. Like I, I get held up on, you mentioned technical stuff. Like we're in my podcast studio, which is good, but I'm trying to get some cameras set up so I can live stream better. I kind of can't figure it out. I'm not 14 and don't have YouTube skills. And so I just go, eh, all right, we'll figure it out later. And that's the apathy. But you just touched on something else where I think going to some of my, my issues, I was one of those quote gifted kids pulled out of class, pulled into what was called gate out of my, uh, here in California. I think, I think it was other places too, gifted and talented education or something where, so it's cool. Hey, you tested above a certain level. And the idea was, we don't want you to be bored by school. Yeah. Come get engaged in this little room, resource room. I was bored by it all. And I, I never buckled down to work hard for it. It just kind of be well, I, I, and, and not that being told you're special is a problem. That isn't it. Uh, you should tell your kids they're special. But yes, there's something powerful in the fact of. <sighs> I, I saw and I saw an essay years ago about this. Someone wrote about this. I am the type. Uh, if you tell me, Ken, can you write me a short story and give me two weeks? What am I going to do? I'm going to write it on the night before, and I'm going to hate that I do that. But I'm going to do it good, and you're going to go, wow, you're a great writer. And in my head, I'm like, I, I know I could have been better. Yeah. And, I, and, and, I, and that's not self-loathing. Like, it could have been better, but I waited the last minute because I didn't. Because I know I can come through. Mm-hmm. I know I don't need to put any work into this. I got pulled out of class, didn't have to do my homework, and got told just, uh, you know, look at some special, uh, you know, high-intelligent uh, reading books as a kid. You know, whatever. And, and and I don't fault I don't fault anyone. You have to you can't fault anyone. Just like when you at one point realize your parents are real humans who 
didn't know how to raise you, you know, did the best they can. It's a, it's an interesting thing that does tie into some of my stuff. I don't work as hard as maybe I should. And I work a lot and I work hard and I put an effort, but I, I know I can do more, but I also know that I could just well, turn on a microphone and it's going to be okay. Uh, having gone through the journey that you've gone through, like now, where do you sort of draw the line of like, yes, I could be working hard mm-hmm. versus I'm just beating the crap out of myself for no reason. It's a good line. It's a fine line, isn't it? it it's it a great is. question because I I'm, I'm, I do both. I don't know. Maybe you know on the inside. You know, I always lately on one of my podcasts I talked about feeling good, feeling good, which is you have to let yourself. So I just returned to stand up recently after five years of or so of last time I did it and six seven years of doing it regularly, and I had a great set at the comedy store. Was that your choice or just Mark know, Mark, rap, Ellis Mark, Ellis. Mark Ellis tricked me. He okay. tricked me, Phil, and I want that on record. He knew that, to his credit, and there's a good mentor character too, he knew to his credit that I probably wasn't done even though I thought I was done. But he never said it, and he never did it, and he just started bringing me around shows. I started hanging out at the comedy store. And it wasn't his goal to just, I'm going to get Ken to do comedy. He just, uh, you know, maybe you don't hate this as much as you did. And then I started hosting shows uh, with Makuga live on stage, Josh Makuga. No scripts, no jokes, no bits, just on a comedy stage hosting a show, which, again, I don't need to prep for because I can do that, right? Comedy you have to prep for. Anyways, it, it, it slowly started working, and, and, you, and, and to his credit, it's a sign of a good mentor. He wasn't like, get back on there. Maybe sometimes some people need that, but he, he could see the next time I hosted, I was like, hey, remember that thing we did last time, Josh? Let's do that again, but we add this joke. It'll be funnier, and Mark's like, oh, you're writing a bit now, huh? Oh, damn it, damn it. So long story short. I start doing shows. Um, Josh couldn't make one of our shows, and I had to do a, a set. I had to, I had to be a comic again, yeah. and I did it, and I killed, and that was funny and great, and felt good. But did you use new bits or I wrote it, it on you? a plane? Wow. We flew from Burbank to San Francisco, and I wrote my set on the plane. That's incredible because that's a short flight. It's not like short you're flight. going to Boston. You got six hours yeah. to come up with stuff. I was like, I guess we better do this, and. A, a little bit. It's funny. It's a little bit of what I just was saying. Of uh, I had two weeks to prepare, by the way. But I got on that plane. But in the whole time, I thought, I'm just going to do what Josh and I have been doing. I'm going to make stuff up for 15 minutes. You know, I have improv background. I can do that. But as I got up there, it, it wasn't laziness waiting to the last minute. It was like, as I'm on the plane, and I have my choice to put my headphones in and sleep for 35 minutes or 40 minutes on the flight, or do I be a comic again? Mm-hmm. I was like, what if we tried to be a comic again what would that be like and i did it and it's been great and then i went back to the comedy store belly room show with ellis in september and i i killed phil we killed it was a great show but then at the next morning i started running through all the list of excuses of why it wasn't as good as it felt well the audience mostly knew me well it's the belly room it's not the main room it's 40 people squishing a room different feel than 200 right ah uh, you know some i got away with a joke there because they knew who i am and then I stopped and I was like, what if we just enjoyed this? Yeah. What would that do if you just enjoyed a success in your life? And that goes back to what you said about the fine line between when, when are you being honest with yourself and when are you beating yourself up? I think you have to learn it individually over time and sometimes maybe with some help because mm-hmm. um, I, still, I still do it. And your next set is uh, November 16th? That's the next slated one? Yeah. Next slated one, yeah. Hopefully some ones will pop up before then. Um, yeah, November, we're going to Washington, D.C., Ellis and I and Makuga and doing some comedy out there. So that's been that's fun, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll be more prepared. <laughs> <laughs> no, excellent. No, uh, and what 
when you write comedy, what do you gravitate towards? Like what, what's the type of humor you like? Has it evolved in those five years? Yes. Uh, it's always a self-reflection to a fault. I also feel that's the safest and, and comedy, comedy hasn't changed, but the way the world takes it certainly has. Um, yeah. Does that, does know. that scare you? Cause I mean, now it, there's pitchforks everywhere. I feel like it does. I understand the, uh, some of the pitchforks. I understand it. Um, I worry about it overall. Comedy, stand-up comedy is very protective, much like pro wrestling, very protective of itself. And so the general public's seeing that and they're fighting against that. All these comics are circling around these other comics. Yeah, we're just very protective um, of, of the craft. It worries me a little bit, but then I always live by a case-by-case basis approach. So the dude getting fired from SNL before he stepped on the stage like I, I, oh, okay. Let's see what he said. I clicked on it. And went ah. I don't know if that was a joke. I don't know, you know. So I can get that. Where some of the, like the Chappelle stuff that's popping up, you know, whether I agree with the joke or not, or, or or understand or share his point of view, he's an artist doing his thing, and and the stand up stage is supposed to be that. So it's in my mind, but that's why I've always found it easier to turn back on myself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um. And then there find themes and lessons there too. But it's so funny. Back in the day, when I was really doing stand up a lot, oh five, oh six, oh seven range, and even oh three, oh four, when I started out, like I remember when my mom was like, "Well, I mean," and she hadn't really seen me do comedy, but she was like, "You know, you're talking about your depression and your suicide and stuff like that, suicide attempts and everything. Maybe, maybe people just want to laugh." And it's not that you can't joke about that stuff. I just it wasn't a joke. I was on stage just really working through stuff mm-hmm. and you have to be careful of that so that has changed we're now yes it's a reflection on myself i take a couple shots some some little s- s- circumstances outside of just my own life but they're they're, they're the approach is comical intentionally comical yeah. um uh not mean i've never been mean-spirited but i used to do so i used to do the schmoes movie news right and that was dennis miller style making fun of things that started to change because I felt people were more protective of a movie. If I made a joke about Transformers being bad and someone loved that movie, then I'd get a little more where get a little more attacked where earlier I didn't. 2013 range I didn't. 2015 I was. Would it be like if you made a joke um that that was heartfelt in a way like, you know, mm-hmm. like for me, I love the Matrix. Yeah. But I can nitpick the right. crap out of that movie and it's like, well, it is what it is. It goes back to the fandom conversation where we've forgotten the simple joy. Star Wars is really silly, and I take it so seriously. But it's so funny to see it now taken so seriously in the wrong way at times by a lot of different fans. And I've been guilty of it too where you get defensive. And it's like, well, like George loved parody. Like Hardware Wars, which was released in 78, is the first like official parody. George loved it, and I loved it too. Grew up with it. And it's totally making fun of Star Wars because they loved it. Yeah. And I think people forgot, especially with my Schmoes News, like some people would write, like, oh, this guy seems so arrogant. He seems so – but like I'm playing a character, and I'm just having fun because I love all this stuff. And wow, you took that way too seriously. You know, I just yeah. did a little joke about the Transformers. But times have changed. So when it, returning to stand-up, the jokes are mostly about me and myself discovering my journey. It's yeah. just easier. Uh, tangential question. Mm. Do you think film critics in general, just by the sheer volume of movies we watch, we, we start to become cynical by design? 
I think it's possible. I mean, I still think film critics are their jobs to critique more than be critical. That fine line. I saw one of them tweet out recently and I think they get unfairly attacked. Um, but also I know back in the day it was, uh, you know, and nowadays I don't mean this. I don't mean this cynically and I don't mean this dismissively. Anyone can pop up and do a YouTube channel, right? And, and be a movie critic. And, and the Schmoes were the first official MPAA recognized critics who were on YouTube. That's one of their things on their resumes and a lot's changed since then. So I don't want to dismiss or downplay, but I think there is an art to being a film critic that's not recognized by a lot of people versus now it's just like, you know, why did that character show up there? Plot hole, movie sucks. Um, but as far as your question about, yeah, it's, it's possible. It's just too much content, too many things out there. Um, luckily, I'm not a film critic, so I don't know. Fair enough. I want to go back to an earlier point. Yeah. that you mentioned about you were almost upset that your fans were at your comedy show and so therefore it didn't validate it. Yeah. Um, That's weird, huh? It is It is <laughs> weird, right? And and I see creators all the time of like, oh, well, it was just my friends and my family that came out to my show. And it's like, yeah. well, why, why is that a bad thing? You know, if they made up the entire yeah. 20 people and you're just starting off, yeah. so what? Yeah, and, it's, it's so true. And, you, you know, um, one of the things like, I don't know. I want to get your take on this because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when I see the old, let's the making of movies and so forth, and you see like George and Steven Spielberg, they, were, they, they like there were classes of people, and they they were all rooting for each other. Yeah. And I don't know if this is the same for you, but I feel like whatever our class would be mm. of artists, we don't necessarily share that that uh, group journey, if you will. We mm-hmm. we're kind of very individual and to a degree get jealous and mm-hmm. my new year's resolution was like well if i'm going to support anyone's art why shouldn't it be my friends mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, yeah you know yeah. why not like that just makes sense and let's be a class and grow together yeah it's it's so yeah that's a great especially in stand-up because stand-up is this really jealousy fueled individual world um and i'm guilty of it too but like it's funny you see you see other folks and uh it's easy to like, wow, they got that good gig, <laughs> whatever. And it's like, then I have to ask myself, well, did you want that gig? Did you try for that gig? Yeah. Is that the life you want? Maybe that's their journey. You should be happy because they're really nice. And look, occasionally I, I know of some folks that behind the scenes, maybe you're like, oh, if only people knew that's let's put that in a different category, but discuss your other thing. Like, yeah, um, I love that you mentioned Lucas and Spielberg and Milius and Coppola and De Palma and all those guys from that era because I'm obsessed with those type of eras. And it doesn't mean that they weren't competitive. In fact, it might have been a healthy competition. Yeah, oh, Spielberg's doing Jaws. I'm going to do Star Wars. Oh, I'm going to do this. And, and then they work together. I'm going to do a Bond movie. I got something better. It's called Indiana Smith. All right, let's do it. I, I, love, I love movements or times. And I love reading about it. So you have the, the early 70s USC era. Not everyone went to USC, but that era of film directors and the auteur emerges and stand-up comedy in the 70s. The Comedy Store, Leno, Letterman, uh, uh, Pryor, Williams, all these people going up nightly. And it's just – it's crazy. Saturday Night Live around the same time. All these sketch comics and mostly Canadian meet in New York and they create something that's still going 45 years. I, I'm obsessed with Sunset Strip, different eras of – 
hair metal bands. I'm not even a hair metal band fan, but wow, wow, they're they're all over the place. My my late uncle, he would tell me the story of going to the Whiskey A Go Go and seeing the Doors as a house band, and walking and walking next to David Crosby on the sidewalk. And I'm obsessed with peers doing great things who maybe at the time don't know they're doing great things, but they're all kind of there with each other doing it. It's yeah. a great thing. And again, not that there's not some individual problems and jealousies, everything. And I do kind of wish we had more of that now. It's definitely not that. Yeah, I know it's, it's a little tough. And uh, one of the things that I try to tell people is just, it's okay to be jealous, but use it as a barometer of like, okay, well this person has what I want. Mm-hmm. So how do I, how do I attain what, they're going yeah. after as well rather yeah. than like oh well now i have to kill this person metaphorically right. speaking metaphorically <laughs> sometimes literally unfortunately uh, yeah no it's it gets really it gets really weird like where i'm happy for some people um but you look at their life and you're like well if i had you know that's the life i wanted um and I used, to, I used to joke, uh, Jimmy Fallon uh, went to the Groundlings, uh, joined SNL, became a Weekend Update anchor, and is now hosting uh, with Tonight Show. Uh, in high school, that was what I told people I wanted to do, right? And Jimmy and I, he's a little, little older than me, a couple of years. But like, I was, and I went to the ground, I got as far as the Groundlings, and then got out of it, right? Um, got asked to leave, all those good things. Um, didn't get SNL, not hosting the Tonight Show. And I used to be, Fallon, man, living my life. And I'm just like, well, but that's what? Like, I went this way. Yeah. And he would, and, and he had different talent level than me or different energy. Tried to, like, I, at one point in about 2011 or 12, realized I had not put any blood on the tracks or at least as much blood on the tracks as I thought. I, you know, Hollywood's not working out for me, man. Like, Oh, cool. Have you done this? Have you done that? What's your latest headshot? I don't have any. What's your website? I don't have a website. What are you doing? Uh, I played Madden all weekend. Like, I had to realize, what am I jealous of? I'm jealous that I am trying to, I'm jealous that, that they've worked. <laughs> Not what yeah. they got, that they've worked. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a hard thing. But you have to police yourself all the time. Yeah, you do. It's uh, but it, But it seems like you've kind of... Yeah, it's a, it's a great self-realization. Um, speaking of your website, because yeah. I know I'm going to forget if I don't, uh, mm. you have a tab for charities, which yeah. a lot of people, when they have their personal website, they make no mention of anything like that. Why was that mm. important to you? It became important to me. Um, it's not, And again, it's not like I'm out there every weekend with my sleeves rolled up. Uh, feeding the homeless and i think i want to make that clear that not that i wouldn't like doing that or anything you know but it's like it's on there because i i'm not i I realized at one point i'm not one of those people that's tweeting about some of my political views or getting rolled up in the issues but it doesn't mean i don't care i'm not involved i'm not reading the newspaper every day and i also see there's just a lot of hate out there a lot of anger and I'm not doing the either side thing, but like, you know what I mean? Like I could see some of my friends on the left and I'm just looking at their Twitter feed every day going, man, just, I know there's problems, but have you smiled today? And then I look on the other, like, oh man, there's no common sense in what you're saying. Like, and at one point I just realized, well, what can I put out there? And I want to be uh, charge of my own destiny what goes on around me the conversations about star wars are positive doesn't mean i don't occasionally criticize but i choose my someone once said to me they're like i know you didn't like that star wars novel as much as you said on the review why as if i was a shill and i was like no i chose if you go back and watch i chose the way i criticized the book carefully because i didn't want to put out 
unnecessary scorn, hate, or anger. Yeah. Um, so the charity thing came out of there's a lot of other things that you can get involved in and that helps the world. And I had been a bone marrow donor 10 years ago. Um, a friend of a friend, her daughter died at two, uh, one of those uh, bone marrow cancer things, and just they did a drive in her honor. So, yeah, of course, I'm going to come down to the hospital, take a couple swabs, you're done. Three years later, I got an email, hi, you matched with someone. And I started to go through the process. Uh, and, you know, the, the bone getting bone marrow out ain't easy, right? But I ain't no hero. I'm here to do it. Rolled up my sleeves. And then I got an email. They, I, they're everything, blood tests, everything's great. We're going to go to the next phase. And I got an email that said, uh, something has changed in the situation. And they don't tell you what. You don't know if they passed away. Maybe they've gotten better. You don't, you don't know. And I just remember, like, it's more important to highlight that kind of stuff. Uh, when I can. And then um, in building in this Patreon era and this do-it-yourself era, community is formed around my silly little shows. Mm-hmm. And in talking to some of these folks, I put it up on my Discord page like, hey, have you got any charities? Because I've got a couple up. And I was helping my cousin. My cousin's a, a teacher now in Vegas. She's a 3D engineer teacher. And it's a second career. She had a great career as a, as a beverage manager for casinos and uh, some stuff happened and it's a shady business and she got out ousted out of it and she didn't know what to do and decided I'm going to teach mid forties. I'm going to go start this career and she's teaching 3d praying to kids, but she has no money for supplies because that's how unfortunately schools work now. Right. Yeah. So she has to handle it herself and it 3d printer. So I, it's like, okay, I don't have a large platform, but I have a platform. Let's put that out there, do a little charity drive. Um, so I went to my listeners and was like, what do you have? And, and, People came out. That's cool. That's oh, I awesome. got this. And I got this. And so what you see in that charity tab are some of mine. Um, some, I think, some friends of mine. Michelle Boyd's got one. Uh, my girlfriend, Grace Hancock's got one up there. My friend, Stephen Stanton, a voiceover guy. Uh, I put a pin in that. That factors in. Stephen Stanton. Um, and then I got a lot from my listeners. And I want more. And I forget sometimes, Phil. Sometimes I'm like, oh, God, I got to go back and highlight. Uh, I want to do more there. So it's not, it's just, again, you're putting something out there that's positive. And I'm not the only one that does it, and I, others do it better. But I just was like, come to this. It feels weird to say, come to this website. Here's all the things I do. Ain't I great? And to not have a tab go, I'm also a human, and, and have these thoughts and cares and concerns. Um, it's just that simple. And it happened. Um, uh, so Stephen Stanton, a very successful voice actor, a lot of Star Wars stuff. He's Admiral Radisson Rogue One. He's uh, Captain uh, Captain Tarkin. Uh, and Clone Wars, there's a lot of Star Wars stuff, a lot of other things. His, his manager is a great guy, great character named Dutch, and uh, his uh, uh, partner, Miss Kathy, and, and they're great people. They're really wonderful characters. And they just, they're like, no, we will always be involved in char- charity. And we told Stephen and any clients, that's what you'll be doing a lot. Um, and they do a lot with like Starlight Kid Foundation and everything, but like, that's, no, we have a lot. Yeah, Not even awesome. money. We have a lot. So you're going to give some of your time and use some of your career to focus on those that need it. It's, it when it, like two years ago, they told me that. And I was like, uh, it makes me feel bad for not doing anything more. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Obama has a great quote. I used to be in, you know, like if you can't solve it 100 percent, it's like, is it even worth it? And he has a great quote of like, better is good. Is it better? Yeah. Then that's good. Yeah. You know, so listen, yeah, yeah. whatever you're doing, it's better. It's better. And that's yeah. good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> we'll know? take it. Um, as we wrap this out, is there uh, anything that you uh, want to kind of share that maybe you haven't shared or just final thoughts of like encouragement or whatever the case may be? 
Uh, you know, it's, uh, for the creatives out there, which is a lot of what the focus, what you're doing is, is you, you mentioned a little bit of the marathon, not a sprint, that tree shaking thing. Um, when that tree is shaking and you're trying to grab on, I think make sure you, you know what you're grabbing on to. Um, and that you're pursuing that you're there for the right reasons. And, and there, there can be bad reasons to want to be in this town, but also, um, I'd say a lot for the, for creatives out there again, because the end line is shifting. The goalposts are moving. I, I wrote a book, my first published published book. It feels great. Um, it's, it's, only the last thing I've done. I now have to worry about what's next, right? So I didn't hit some finish line. I'm not on a beach drinking Mai Tais. Um, you, you have to keep... So that can get daunting. Um, to I, I always say enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey. The 80% you talked about, Phil, you have to learn to enjoy that and not just convince yourself to enjoy that. Actually enjoy it. I think that's really, really important because you're going to go on 10 auditions this week and probably not going to get any of them. But the next one might change your life and you have to keep training and, and getting ready for every audition as if it's the next one's changing your life. Um, the next connection could change your life. I don't know, you, you know, my career path, where I'm, where I'm at now, being in a day job that I hated and all those kind of things. I met Christian and Mark in 2003 doing stand-up. And in 2012, they wrote me and said, hey, would you like to produce our show? 2015, that led to a job that ended the day job I wanted to end. And the jobs I got and the very job I got that I left for uh, didn't exist when I moved to this town. You mentioned it earlier. We yeah, couldn't no, go study be podcasters. It's fascinating, right? I didn't know what I needed. And I needed to enjoy the process getting there more. It took a long time. It took me a long time, Phil. But I'm not done yet, you know? And I think if you're listening out there, you're trying to create a podcast or YouTube channel or your Twitch streaming or you're writing a book or you're writing a screenplay and you want, like, it, it, it buckle up. It's going to be a while. It's going to be topsy-turvy. That tree's going to shake. Um, but you need to enjoy that because that ends up being more what it's more about than when you get that big yes or go picture or that first check. Yeah. So concentrate on that and friendship too we didn't we didn't go into it but the, but the schmoes <sighs> yep. them you know but like when you talk about like the mm-hmm. class uh the, you know the schmoes is a good example of rising yeah. with your friends which I yeah love. yeah and occasionally punching them but you know um <laughs> yeah it's important to have support around you uh i used to when i moved to town in 1998 it was like well you got a network kid i used to oh yeah i go to hollywood you got a network and i didn't know what that meant as a past people don't as a passing out business cards at parties I don't know. I don't know if that works. Um, or is it connecting with people on an individual level and they, and they, and they rise up and, and maybe you rise up with them or maybe you don't and being okay with it. I just, as, as you recorded day, I, 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 I got a, a, a notification, an article, one of my friends, an old roommate, has just got an amazing job. He has to move to Canada. He's a creative director for a studio now. And uh, I don't know. It's not going to directly help me because it's more an animation, which I don't work in, but like, you don't work in yet. Not yet. You know what I mean? But, but you don't work yet. But it's like, so maybe there's something, because he and I have tried to work on stuff. And I'm not saying, but it's like, he and I met in 2001. And we were so broke as roommates that uh, we'd have to, like, share Del Taco combo meals while we sat at home dreaming about what we could do to get out of the situation. And it's taken a long time. But I'm so happy. And it's like, wow, that's that's networking. That's it's a connection that's real and shared and enjoyed. It's not going to a party. Um, and I had, you know, 
I had a situation. There was a, so a party, uh, some parties that you were in attendance, Phil, where we got told before we got huddled up. You need to get three connections tonight, and we're like, "What? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I want to go party with Phil. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing?" Um, and that is to me not what you do. What you do is go build real connections. Well, it's also funny because people, you know, uh, they they tout like all the stuff that they've been doing, and mm-hmm. um, you know and might want to make a true genuine connection, but it's like, okay, if I'm going up to you, like, Hey, Ken, this is, I'm a great editor. Mm. I'm a great podcaster, X, Y, and Z. It's like, okay, great. Mm. And if in, in the best case scenario, you want me for the job, but it's like, wait, I didn't think that through. <laughs> I don't want the job. I, I just want, yeah. I, I want you to just pay me. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. work. I don't, I don't want anything for this. Yeah. Like I, I was just, I was just lying to you half that stuff. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, I want to go to the next party tomorrow night yeah, yeah. and, and do the same thing. Yep. get paid just to do that. Like yep. people think the networking part is the job. No, the networking yeah. part is supposed to give you the job <laughs> the and job. the job is going to be really hard. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and believe me, people want to work with people they feel they can work with more than what your resume says. And look, have your skills, build your skills. That's so funny. That's so true. <laughs> so true. That's so true. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Beautiful. That's it for this lesson though. But please feel free to click over to any of the numerous lessons I've created just for you. I have so many you can check out along with other free resources. All you have to do is go to my website at billsvitek.com. And if you prefer to learn by reading, well then I'm thrilled to announce that I will be coming out with a book that not only teaches my principles, but also provides exercises so you can put these ideas into action. Follow me on social media for upcoming details on that. Lastly, a huge, huge thank you to the people that helped make this episode financially possible. If you too would like to support the show, you can do so by either heading on over to my Patreon or supporting some of my merch from my store. Links are down below for your benefit. Or you can just tell a friend about this show and we can build a community of like-minded creatives. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Anyway, thanks for taking the time to tune in. I know your time means a lot. I'm at Phil Svitek on social media, and I'll see you next time.